I am afraid of you fill in the blank. I'm sure all of us could fill it in in a variety of ways. I am afraid of death, heights, the dark, unemployment, small places, ISIS or ISIL. I'm afraid of rejection. We all have different things that we're afraid of. Everybody here has experienced fear at some point, and you may be in a time of fear right now. You've probably noticed that fear makes us do weird things. Fear creates weird habits and weird tendencies. Once you become afraid of something, sometimes it's even hard to get rid of that habit or that tendency you had when you were afraid of it. When I was young, and I I slept, obviously, when I was young, but when I went to bed when I was young, I used to just cover my whole body in a blanket because anything you can't see isn't there, right? It doesn't exist. Well, I still have that habit today. I have to sleep with one blanket, and no one else can be in that blanket or on that blanket. I have to be completely in that blanket by myself, and it has to be completely all around me like an igloo. It's just a weird habit. I don't think I'm afraid anymore, but I still have the habit today. I was afraid, started something, and it stuck with me. Fear causes us to do really weird things. Fear can lead to failure. Fear can stop us from becoming who we're meant to become. Fear can keep us in unhealthy lifestyles, or fear can keep us in unhealthy relationships. Fear can bring about failure. This morning, the bad news is that everybody in the world wants you to be afraid. If you think of the three big influencers in the world, they all want you to be afraid. Marketers want you to be afraid, politicians want you to be afraid, and religious leaders want you to be afraid. Every one of those groups wants you to fear something. Why? They know if you're afraid, you'll buy what they're selling, or you'll do what they're asking. Fear has got great power, and they know it. That's why they're trying to sell it to you. That's why they're trying to elevate it, to get you to be scared. It's all around the world. People want us to be afraid. Yet, if we read the Bible, not just hearing from Jesus, but throughout the whole Bible, we hear constant phrases of things like, fear not, take heart, do not be afraid. Maybe you've seen the little graphic that's going around on on Facebook or the internet, and it talks about, you know, Everybody's afraid, but in the Bible, there's 365 different times it says, do not be afraid or fear not. I don't, I don't know if there's 365 times it actually says that, but the point is, is that God had given it once a day for us to not be afraid. It says a lot in the Bible, do not be afraid. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're not supposed to be people who fear. We're supposed to be people of courage. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, I did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. And Jesus, as he's preparing his followers to go out in the world here, he wants them to be courageous. That's why he says to them at least three times, do not be afraid. And there's plenty of things to fear. It's not like Jesus is ignoring the evil that exists in the world. Jesus just got done, before he said this, telling his followers about the evil. 
If you read all of Matthew 10, Jesus basically says this, hey, go into the villages and spread my peace, but as you're going into the villages, be prepared. It's going to be hostile. There's going to be people that reject you. There's going to be people that don't let you stay at their homes. There's going to be people that say, hey, would you leave our village? Not only that, but then there's going to be people that persecute you, that try and take your life. Jesus acknowledges all of this stuff that's going on. And then he says, even in the middle of it, do not be afraid. He wants his followers to be courageous. Jesus wants his followers to be courageous because he knows if fear reigns, there's mission failure. What happens if his followers let fear have the final say? They're not going to go to the next village. If they get rejected at one village and they're afraid of what's going to happen and they let fear have the final word, they're not going to go to that village. And the mission that Jesus gives them fails. But Jesus wants us to be courageous. Today and for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about this issue of fear, how to live a life where we're not afraid, but rather a life where we've got security and a life where we're being risky on behalf of Jesus Christ, a life where we're not afraid of differences anymore, that someone who believes something different than us or behaves different than us, they don't scare us, but we take risk to extend hospitality to them. Jesus wants us to be courageous, but at the foundation of living a courageous life is a fear that God wants us to have, that Jesus tells his followers, do not be afraid, but then he gives them a foundation of basically saying, don't be afraid of what's in this world because you're going to fear the one who's not in this world. Basically, Jesus is saying, when we fear the Lord, we no longer fear the things of this world. When we fear the Lord, we no longer fear the things of this world. Jesus says, do not fear, and then he basically almost, you can laugh at this because this is how extreme it is. He basically says, what's the worst they can do to you? So if you have your Bible, look with me in Matthew 10. He says, do not fear. Verse 26, he says it. And then 28, he comes back to it again, and he says, do not fear those who kill the body. I mean, think how crazy this is. Jesus is saying, hey, what's the worst they can do? Kill you. I mean, that, that's the worst, right? There's nobody else that I'm aware of that's wandering around saying, hey, don't, don't be afraid. All they're going to do is kill you. That's usually what? Reason to fear. Jesus says, no. Don't be afraid. All they can do is kill you. Well, what in the world? Why would he say that? Because Jesus has an eternal perspective. Jesus knows that what we see and what we feel and what we touch is not all there is. There's more to come. Notice what he says in verse 28. <clears throat> Excuse me. Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus knows that we are creatures who have a soul, something that's going to live beyond the life of this physical body for all of eternity. And Jesus says, hey, you need to fear the one who has control over the soul and the body after life. This is critical to see. He doesn't say just fear the one who has control of your soul, but also Fear the one who has control of your body 
after death. Yes, the things of this world can take your body today, but they have no say and no power over what happens to your body and your soul after this life. Jesus is saying, fear the Lord, the one who has control and complete authority over your eternal soul. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? If, if Jesus wants us to fear God, what does it mean to fear God? Well, if we look back into the Old Testament, into the Psalms, which were basically prayers or songs that God's people had sung or said at different points in history, we find a couple of different themes whenever it comes out about fear of the Lord. The first theme we find that is a little bit odd is when you read a psalm that says fear of the Lord, in that same psalm, you'll see the word joy, rejoice. I mean, very odd. When you and I think of fear, we think of scared, shriveling in a corner. But in the psalmist, when they're talking about fear of the Lord, they also have similar statements of rejoice in the Lord. It's because in the presence of the Lord, there is the fullness of joy. So to fear the Lord is not to shrivel and be scared. There's an element of confidence, actually, in fearing the Lord because we have this joy when we're in the presence of the Lord. So the main thing of emphasizing the joy that's present is what fear is not. Fear is not scared depression. Fearing the Lord is not being scared and depressed of what's to come. But we can still have joy while fearing the Lord. Joy is present. The other word that's always used with the word fear, it seems like, is the word awe. A-W-E. The psalmist will say, And all the inhabitants of the earth stood in awe of Him. In other words, they were captured with something great or magnificent. They stood there and said, wow, who is this? What is this? I mean, we all know the feeling, the mentality of awe. We've all been awed before, right? When you're watching an athletic event or you see something in nature, you see a bald eagle swoop down, what happens? You go, wow, that's magnificent. To fear the Lord is to stand and say, wow, He is magnificent. To fear the Lord is to have respect and awe for the Lord. So let's break it down a little bit of what it would actually mean to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord really begins with the word acknowledge. If you're going to fear the Lord, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge the reality of the Lord. Isn't this what everybody's trying to do to get us afraid? They're trying to get us to acknowledge what? The reality of something they're trying to take care of. They're trying to get us to believe something is real and then we're afraid. The first thing we have to do when we fear the Lord is simply acknowledge God is real. You might say to yourself, well, <laughs> thank you, obviously, Pastor, God is real. But for many of us, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, Monday through Sunday, we don't acknowledge that God is real. We sometimes believe in an idea of a creator, but when's the last time you acknowledged during the day, like, okay, God, let's go and get this done together? You're just acknowledging right there, God is here, God is present, there is really a God. Acknowledgement that God is real is the first step in fearing God. The second piece of fearing God is acknowledging the revealed will of God. In other words, saying, God, you've made known what you want 
and I'm going to respect that. For example, if your boss comes in to you today and says, hey, I'd like to have you finish this report by noon tomorrow. Well, okay, your boss leaves, your boss comes back tomorrow at 1 o'clock and says, hey, I didn't get the report. You're fired for not respecting authority. I would assume most of us would say, that makes sense, I didn't respect authority. Why didn't you respect authority? You didn't respect their wishes. Your boss won't come back and say, hey, thanks for having all of the respect for me and not fulfilling what I told you to do. They're, they're linked together. You can't have one without the other. If you're going to respect your boss, you're going to respect the orders from your boss. If we're going to fear God, have reverence for God, we have to acknowledge the revealed will of God that has been made known. Ten commandments, the commandments that Jesus gives explaining God's law for us, God's word that's given to us throughout the Bible. We have to acknowledge that God has made known what He wants. So often, we don't acknowledge what God has made clear while still expecting what? That we're respecting God. That, yeah, He's, he's God. Well, if He's God, we need to acknowledge then His ways that He's made known. Fear God means to acknowledge the reality of God, acknowledge the revealed ways of God, and then also acknowledge that God is all-knowing and all-present. When you get to this point of acknowledging that God is everywhere and all-knowing, it really changes you. How many of you who are driving late at night in Sioux Falls have ever pulled up to a red light after 10 p.m. and then just kind of slowly gone through that red light? Nope. Wow, the integrity of this place. Thing. How about in the gravel road in the country? How many of you have come to a four-way stop and... You never really even stopped. Right. Well, what? No one's there. No one's watching. I do it almost all the I'll just admit it. 33rd and Cliff after 10 o'clock. It's red light. I'm going through. No one's there. No one sees what's going on. Right? If there was somebody there, what would happen? It would change things. I would behave differently. We all sometimes go out and about as though God isn't even there. And I'm going to sneak this one by God. Well, how small view of God do we have that we believe we can show up here, go through some motions of singing and listening and talking and giving, and be like, oh, God, we're good. And then go out, and then, oh, God doesn't know this, what I've got going on right here. Okay, that's called no God at all. That's called something we've created. God knows all, is present everywhere everywhere. So if we're going to fear God, we need to acknowledge the presence of God. That when I'm going through the store and I'm treating the cashier, God's with me. God knows how I treated the cashier that day. God knows what I said under my breath when I left my boss's office. God's right there. He knows it all. If we're going to fear God, we need to acknowledge the presence of God and acknowledge that God is all-knowing. So often when we talk about the fear of God, we kind of step back a little bit because we don't want to push this too much. Because if we push the fear of God too much, people think it's going to be unhealthy. That we're going to have an unhealthy view of God and then we're not going to come to God. Well, if I'm driving down the street 
And if I see a police officer, is it unhealthy for me to look at my speedometer? I would actually contend that it's more unhealthy if I'm driving and I see a police officer and I'm not willing to check my speed at all. Isn't it more unhealthy if we know someone's in authority and that person in authority has no say or sway over us? I'm scared of that person. I'm scared of the person who's unwilling to examine themselves in light of authority because that person's what? Willing to do anything. That's dangerous. It's not unhealthy at all to have a reverence for God where I check my thoughts, where I check my feelings, my actions, and my attitudes in light of there being a God. I can have all of the reverence and respect for God and still at the exact same time approach God with confidence. We've got to come to an understanding, a complete picture of who God is. This is not a 50-50 deal. God is not 50% judge and creator and owner and then 50% friend. This is not we've got God of the Old Testament and then, oh, thankfully, we're in the New Testament. No, this is God 100%. God is 100% judge, king, and owner, and at the exact same time, 100% loving Father, forgiving Savior. They're not jumping in and out of roles. We can't understand this because from a human perspective, we don't know this in complete perfection but 100% both all of the time. And we see it here in Matthew 10. At the same time as Jesus says, fear God, notice what he says about God. Look with me in Matthew 10. What it says about God, he says, starting in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. This is a big deal right here. Jesus makes an astounding statement right here. He calls God Father. This is huge. This is not going over well where Jesus is preaching. The Jews do not like this. There's a reason that Jews do not use the Lord's Prayer. It starts with our Father. No one calls God Father. Yet Jesus here describes God and directs us to God as a Father, one who cares and nurtures us. That this Creator Judge is also a loving Father. But not just Father, notice what He says here, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall apart from the Father's knowledge, or the Father's will. In other words, sparrows, these things that are worthless, two for a penny... God still knows what? What happens to them. That's how intimate He is with His creation. And then notice what He says next. He knows the number of hairs on our head. They're all numbered. Now, now for some of you, this isn't a very big deal. But for others, this is huge. He doesn't just know the numbers of hair on your head. What? They're numbered. You just plucked out number 31 this morning. This is how intimate God is with His creation. 
This is the creator of the universe who loves us and knows us. At the exact same time, this creator who is intimate and caring and loving, this creator is a perfect, just judge and king. A hundred percent both at the same time, all the time. God is not far off and uninvolved. God is aware and engaged with what is happening in His creation all the time. Now, this raises a bundle of questions. I would hope your mind just starts going crazy here. I mean, if God is aware when a sparrow falls, why doesn't God intervene then when this or that happens? It raises all sorts of questions. And Jesus doesn't get into that today. We're not going to get into that today, but we've got to see the truth that's being pointed out. God is aware and is involved. And there's some serious mystery involved. But we can't let the mystery block the overwhelming truth of God's engagement and God's intimacy with His creation. The creator of this universe wants you to fear Him, wants you to be reverent and stand in awe of Him, while at the exact same time, this creator knows you intimately. Think about that for a second. This Creator knows all the thoughts that you've had. This Creator knows all the words you've said. This Creator knows the things that you've left undone. That, I don't know about you, but that scares me. If someone walked through those doors today and said to you, hey, I know everything Rich has ever done, I would be doing everything I could to get that person out of here very fast. Right? I mean... Is anyone else scared of someone else that knows everything? This someone else that knows everything about you, God, though, says this, I love you. I'll send my son to die for you. This God who is your owner and your judge gives his life on your behalf. We have to be so very careful that we don't make God into a nice created being so that he's likable and approachable. Basically, what happens then is we've created another God and we're no longer worshiping the God revealed in the Bible. And this is exactly what's happening all around us. People are running from churches, leaving Christianity. So what does Christianity do? Christianity says, no, 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 God is likable. God is lovable. So we change the image of God so God is likable. And we end up creating another God. When in reality, we need to proclaim who God is and what God has done. At the exact same time, proclaim that this God is continuously approachable. Some of us look at God and say, oh, thankfully, God is no longer a God of wrath. This morning, I have to be very faithful and honest with the Scriptures. We look at the Old Testament and people get scared. And we think, thankfully, that wrath is gone. God's wrath in the New Testament is way worse than it ever was in the Old Testament. God burned cities to the ground in the Old Testament. God sent armies and destroyed whole countries in the Old Testament. Do you know what God did in the New Testament? God killed His very own Son. Do you think God was no longer a wrathful God? Look what He did to his own son. 
He poured out His wrath more than He had ever poured out His wrath before. He didn't just kill His Son. He punished His Son. Unthinkable punishment. God, the creator of this universe, is a wrathful God, is a just God. Thankfully, this God, at the same time of pouring out His wrath, has made Himself available to you and I, has come and lived among us, has come and loved us, and has now offered us an opportunity to escape His wrath. Because the Bible tells us His wrath is going to come one more time. That wrath is going to come one more time. It may be in your lifetime. It may be after your lifetime. But that wrath is going to come one more time. And it's going to torture physically and spiritually every living creature outside of Jesus Christ. The only safe place is in the arms of Jesus Christ. All else will experience the wrath of God. And Jesus Christ will be safe because He's already experienced the wrath of His Heavenly Father. This morning, God's inviting you into a relationship, one where you can come and know the Creator and feel safe coming to the Creator and speaking with the Creator because of what the Creator has done on your behalf. This morning, I want to encourage you two things. First, respect God. When I was in high school, I got in a little bit of trouble, believe it or not. I'll never forget this moment. I had come home from getting in some trouble, and I had to get my mom and my dad up. My mom and my dad are nice people, I think, but they can also lay down the punishment when necessary. I had a lot of respect for my father. I knew not to cross my father. I had crossed my father this time. Came home and had to tell him everything. We won't go into all of those details. But we get done. My father says to me, well, you need to work in the morning. Go to bed. You got to get up and work. You know what? That's all he said. That's all he said. There were no lashes. There were no, no physical punishment, nothing. I said, you got to work 5 a.m., right? Yep. Go up, get up and work. The next night when I came home that Saturday night, I stayed home that Saturday night because I thought, okay, I better try and earn back something. Dad comes up to me that Saturday night and says, what are you doing at home tonight? Why aren't you out with your friends? That's just a small image. By no means is my father like God, a perfect representation. But it's a small image of what Scripture paints us about the creator of this universe. That we have to revere and we have to acknowledge our wrongdoing before God. But you know what God says to you today? There's work to be done. Stop sitting around. Stop looking here crying, waiting for... Just a little pat on the back. You know, God says, there's work to be done. God does not say, hey, I'm just going to put you in the penalty box for a couple of months. 
you're on probation for a while. No, there's work to be done. You had a previous bad relationship. You made some mistakes. Did you go against the will of God? Absolutely. You know what God says to you today? There's work to be done. You have an opportunity. You're forgiven in Christ. Make it right. There's work to be done. You failed at your job before. You were dishonest in a previous business dealing. You know what God says? There's another business deal to be done, an opportunity to act with integrity. What are you going to do? There's work to be done. God does not say, no more business deals, no more relationships. No. He says, you are forgiven in Christ. There's work to be done. Do you respect the Lord? Or you acknowledge where you have gone wrong? At the exact same time as respecting, will you hear the word of God when he says to you, you are pardoned? No, no, you're not forgiven, you are pardoned. You're not a forgiven sinner wandering around, you are a pardoned sinner. The punishment you deserve, it isn't even on the table anymore. You're not on probation, you are free to start new. This is the creator of the universe. This is the one who demands that we fear him. The one who says, I have my ways, but at the exact same time says, I will forgive you if you trust in my son, Jesus Christ, who has taken your wrath. That is good news. Thanks be to God that there is a creator who deserves our reverence and our awe. And at the exact same time, there is a creator who says, try again. Start over. Work. Thanks be to God that today you and I can go and fear God, therefore being fearless in this life. Fear of things in this world will dictate our lives until we come to the moment when we fear the one who owns all things in this world. Go forth today. Don't buy the lie anymore. Don't buy the lie that they're selling. There is nothing to fear, but rather fear the one who owns all things. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you this morning and acknowledge that we have done wrong in your sight. We acknowledge that we have not always been aware of your presence. We acknowledge that we have not always done what you have revealed us to do. So God, right now, I ask that you would renew us, that you would strengthen us. As we now turn to your table to be reminded of your forgiveness, God, I ask this morning that you would forgive us and renew us. I ask that you would examine our hearts today and bring about a confession of sin, and bring about a confession of faith. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.